Father God, in this moment, with so much going on with Father's Day and VBS and, and also just life, Lord, it can be really easy to miss the incredible invitation from you to, for us to be changed by your word. Yet, Jesus, we know that you change everything. And we know that by your spirit, you can illuminate these scriptures, these words that are from you, that are without error, that are authoritative, and have a way that speaks into every single person here in a unique and powerful way. So I pray, Spirit of God, right now in this moment, we together would have a posture that is ready to receive. And right now in our, in our minds, we would just be open to whatever it is that you would have for us. We trust you. We love you. Help us as we follow you. And we pray this together in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our King, and our friend. Amen. So as I referenced, today we're talking about a faith that moves you. A faith that moves you, and, and as we're looking at this text in Romans chapter 3, a faith that does something to you, and we're, and we're remembering that Paul is writing to the early church. He's writing to a, to a collection of, of believers that are both Jew and Gentile, to people who've been a part of God's people, who've been studying the law, who have learned the ways of God and the things that they must do to, to be his people, and then the Gentiles, the people that are brand new to God that are brand new to this invitation. And, and Paul is writing to them, and he's anticipating as he writes that, the, in particular, these, these Jewish believers, that there might be a bit of a, like, oh yeah, we got these new people coming along, and, and there might be a bit of a hierarchy. Perhaps there's a little bit of the us and them. There's a little bit of, of oh, these are the rookies. <laughs> and we've been doing this for a while, and let me teach you, let me show you. And right away, as, as if you look in the previous verses here, in verses 20 to 26, 21 to 26, Paul writes about our righteousness, and he writes about, if you remember last week, about how our righteousness, all that we are, all that we do, is nothing that we do. It's all about what Christ has done and faith in him. And that we are a people that understand that, that, that faith moves you, but in particular, faith in Jesus moves you. That you got to have the in Jesus. Because we all have faith in something. And what matters is not so much the size or even the length of your faith or how long you've had faith. What matters is the object of your faith. And so this is the foundation that Paul is writing about, and he's writing to the church, and he's telling them here, the first thing, as we put our faith in Jesus, as we are a people who have this profound, unreasonable faith in Jesus, the first thing he wants us to know is that faith moves you out of the driver's seat. 
Faith in Jesus moves you out of the driver's seat. As the great theologian Carrie Underwood would say, <laughs> Jesus take the wheel, right? Or you could say faith moves you out of the spotlight. I loved in our devotional this morning, Jeanette, one of our writers, wrote about how our pulpit here, we have the in faith alone, foundational part of our reformed faith that we believe we're not just a people that have a little bit of faith, that's a part of who we are. No, we are a faith alone people. By grace, by the grace of God, we put our faith in Jesus. And this process moves uh, you and me out of the spotlight, out of the driver's seat. It makes our life not about us. Look at what it says here in verse 27. It says this. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Paul's saying here to the people, it's not about you. It's not about the things that you do. It's not about you obeying the law. And I imagine he's really thinking about these Jewish Christians who who have spent their whole life focused on following the Torah and and doing the things and, and trying to be right before God by the things that they do. We would call this works righteousness. He says, there's no boasting for you. We've been trying this. Remember chapter three, he said, all have sinned, all have fallen short. There's no one righteous. We can't do this on our own. There's no boasting. Because we can't do this, it's all about Christ. Goes on in verse 28, says this, for we hold that one is justified by faith. Remember last week we talked about justification. This is this beautiful doctrine, this this theology that justification is God's declaring you and me right because of what Jesus did through his propitiation. Through his righteous blood shed for us on the cross, we can be justified through our faith. And so we're justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So Paul's saying here, it's not about you. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's not about you. Now tell that person that just talked to you, say, it's not about me. It's not about me. The foundational premise of our belief as Christians is that it's not about me. And listen, this goes contrary to who we are in the modern self that is all about the individual. It's all about my identity. It's all about building my, my, my following, building, uh, um, taking care that, that, that my Instagram looks perfect, that my filter is right, that I got the right hashtags that, that people can see, and it's all about comparison, and it's all about building a following and having this, what I would call, plastic life. But yet Paul here is saying, church, There's no boasting here. It's not about you. The only thing we boast in is in Christ. And this is a theme in the New Testament. In in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, it says, May I never boast 
except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me. The world, the the things of this world, no longer matter because of Christ. And I to the world. Or Philippians 3, Paul writes this, he says, for it is we who are the, the circumcision, he's writing about fellow Jews. He says, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast what? In Christ, Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, who put no confidence in our own ability, in our own striving and works righteousness. Says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, Paul's writing, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, I mean, just thinking about it, as Paul writes this to the, to the Romans, and as he writes this, he says, look at me. Later on, he says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I did all the things. I was being trained up to be the rabbi. And Paul says, I can't boast in any of that stuff. Another place, he says, that's scubula, which is like a Greek word for poop. It's, 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 it's trash compared to Christ, or as he says in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Faith in Jesus moves you out of the driver's seat. It moves your life out of the focus of you having the control letting Christ be the one who leads you. Now, you may be reading this and say, okay, Paul writes here that justification is by faith. But I remember earlier, maybe just a year ago, we went through the book of James. And James says something different. Look at what it says in James 2, verse 24. It says this, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. It's the very word of God. What do we do with that? What is happening here? How do we balance what seems to be contradictions? What's really important to understand that as we read the scriptures, we need to understand, have a good hermeneutic to understand the purpose and the intent of the letter. Actually, James and Paul are saying the same thing, but they're coming at this idea of faith and works from different angles. Paul is writing in Romans to a church of legalists, people that are are all about works and they're putting all of their righteousness and and he sees this and he's addressing this, but but, but James is writing to, to folks that are like, you know what, we don't gotta do anything, all we gotta do is just like say, I believe in Jesus and he's gonna do it all and we'll just sit back and we can actually even live in our own sin and our own misery and and no matter what, it'll be okay. And both of those are, are not the outworkings, the fruit of true, genuine faith in Jesus. John Calvin wrote this. He said, the reconciling of these two views, justification by faith, justification by works, he says this, the reconciling of the two views depends chiefly on the drift of the argument pursued by James. For the question with him is not, how men attain righteousness before God, that's what we're dealing with in Romans, but how they prove to others that they're justified. 
For his object was to confute hypocrites who vainly boasted that they had faith. James is saying, if, you're not, if there's not fruit in your life, if you're not looking at them and saying, oh my goodness, I can see the fruits of the Spirit growing in you. I can see people growing. I can see you growing in Christ. You probably don't have genuine, true faith in Jesus. You're probably faking it. And Paul's saying, you're faking it. You're pretending that you have it and, 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 and letting the outside look. But he's saying, you don't have true faith. It's all about this faith. And in particular, the object of your faith. And faith and works go hand in hand. And so Paul here in Romans is calling us, before we think about the things that we are to do, to be sure that we have the root of it all, the foundation of it all. What are we saying? The firm foundation that, that we have a true, genuine faith in the author and perfecter of it all, Jesus. And the conviction that out of that, the works will come. So first, first faith moves you out of the driver's seat. Second, this is kind of more of just an explanation and an understanding that faith moves you no matter who you are. <laughs> that faith moves you no matter who you are. It is effectual. It does something. Look at what it says here in verse 29. It says this. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not also the God of Gentiles? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. It's interesting, this reference to God is one is probably an allusion or a reference to the Shema, a prayer that the Jewish people would read and, re and recite every single day that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And Paul's referencing this and he's saying this is not just for Jews, this is for all people. We were all created under one God here, he says. Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes. Who will justify the circumcised by faith, this is the Jews, and the uncircumcised through faith, this is the Gentiles. In other words, all people. Turn to the person next to you and say, anyone can get in on this. Anyone can get in on this. The gospel is a free invitation. It's something that is given and offered to all who are willing to put their faith in Jesus. And once again, I love the example of Paul. Not only does he drift all the way to say, hey, I did the works righteousness thing. I tried my best. I was the Pharisee of Pharisees, the Jew of Jews. I was trained up to be a rabbi. But then I met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and everything changed. But yet also, he also knew his place. In 1 Timothy 1.15, look at what he says. He says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ came into the world to save what? Sinners. And look at what Paul says, of who I am the foremost. <laughs> he says, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, the chief of sinners, Jesus Christ might display what? His perfect patience 
as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul's saying Jesus came for all the people. And for some of us, we need to hear this today. We think, oh yeah, before I can really follow Jesus, I need to get some things in order. <laughs> I need to deal with this habit. I need, to, I, I need to change some of my ways of living. I need to pray more. Before I start really following him, I, I need to prove to him that I'm worthy. And Paul's saying, no, it's, it's our unworthiness that makes us qualified to follow Jesus. And the most important thing that you and I can do is have faith in him. Is to put our faith in him. And we see this in Jesus. Go look at his life. Go look at how, who does he hang out with when Jesus comes? He hangs out with prostitutes and tax collectors and he, he's healing broken, hurting people. He also hangs out with Pharisees and scribes. He hangs out with all people. Nobody is left out. All are welcome to be changed by him. And we need to hear this. Faith in Jesus moves you no matter who you are. Also, not only does faith move you and I out of the driver's seat, it moves us, hear this, into joyful obedience. It moves us into joyful obedience. Look at verse 31. It says this. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Do we then just turn our backs on, on all the things that God has told us, the ways that he's called us to live? Do we just no longer live by that? Is that, is that what Paul is saying? He says, by no means, exclamation point. That's him yelling at you. Don't miss this. He says, on the contrary, we uphold the law. This is why when Jesus gave his Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever written in Matthew chapter five through seven, and Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law. I did not come to throw out the law. What did he say? I came to fulfill it. This is why when Jesus hung on the cross and he cried out to God on the cross, he said, it is what finished. And so we believe with James, with Paul, with the confessing church for the last 2,000 plus years, that faith in Jesus will move us to joyful obedience. That because of what Christ has done, we start to live in light of this desire to live righteously. And this is a struggle. I think all of us right now could probably, if we had a time of confession, we could all say, oh, here's some of the ways that I'm being disobedient. Here's some of the things that I struggle with. But yet there's genuine faith causes us to want to change and to want to step out of denial and into God's grace. So I was thinking about this idea of joyful obedience. I was thinking about Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I think about Chick-fil-A a lot. 
In particular, one of my favorite things is whenever I order from Chick-fil-A, I always say, hey, thanks, and then what do they say? My pleasure. They always say my pleasure. And they have to, I think, or they'll get fired. <laughs> but there seems to be this culture in Chick-fil-A that like, like it is a pleasure to serve. It is a pleasure to make this heavenly chicken, spicy chicken sandwich with pepper jack cheese and bacon. And there's something about this, it is my pleasure. There's this culture there. I just feel it when I'm in there and I see people walking around. It doesn't seem unnatural. It seems like something that the people of Chick-fil-A work at. And I believe that the people of God also work at this. That because of what Christ has done, because Christ was obedient even to death itself, he is our example of saying, my pleasure, I die for them. We, in response, live a life that says, it's my pleasure. And my friends, living in humble, joyful obedience causes us to live in ways that the world says are countercultural. There are some of the ways that Jesus calls us to live that the modern self would say, oh no, that's, that's the ways of the world. This, this sexual ethics that you have as Christians, this idea that, that we're called to be a people who, 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 where, where sex was created just for man and woman in the, in the context of marriage, oh no, no, th- that's an old way. This idea of being honest, oh no, you know what, I, I, if, if it's for the greater good, we can compromise. No, there's this value to us as believers that we must be a people that have this joyful obedience to the ways of God because we believe a part of our confession is that God never changes. He is immutable. And so if he's immutable, We are called to read the scriptures. We are called to read his word and we are called to divide it and study it and learn in it and grow in it and and then respond to it in a joyful obedience because we believe it's for our good. And so as you reflect on this, my question would be, how do we move? How do we move? I think of my friend, Coach Scott. He always says this with the football players. How do we move when everyone has to say, fast? I think our response is not necessarily fast. Our response is to a redirection of our eyes. How do we move? This whole ready, set, move. How do we, how do we walk? How do we live? How do we, how do we live in response to, to what Christ has done? What does it look like for me to be someone who has faith in Jesus Christ that is moving because of what he's done? I think the author of Hebrews really helps us with this. This was the theme verse for, um, for VBS. Look at what it says here. Look at how beautiful and powerful these words from the author of Hebrews are. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. It says, therefore, just talked about the gospel and all that Christ has done. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
This is talking about the witnesses from, from generations and generations, all the people of faith that are a part of our story, a part of the gospel story. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with what? Endurance. The race that is set before us, let us move with endurance and resilience. And then how do we move? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The founder and perfecter of our faith. Have you thought about faith in Jesus as something that he starts in you and something he perfects in you? How? Who for the joy that was set before him, remember joyful obedience, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. How do we move? First thing I would encourage you to do, look at Jesus' eyes. Look at Jesus' eyes. It says to look. Earlier we sang this new song, the, 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 the Father's Love, and there's this moment that talks about how God looks at us. And I think sometimes we miss the fact that when, when the Lord looks at us, when Jesus looks at his followers, he doesn't see all the mess. He doesn't see all the struggle. He sees his friends and he sees the potential and he sees the results of his work on the cross and the righteousness that is in us. That's what God sees. And I think for some of us, we need to look at Jesus' eyes and some of the shame, some of the guilt, some of the, the wrong thinking, the stinking thinking about who we are needs to, we need to turn from and we need to embrace the way that Jesus feels about us, the way he looks at us. And let that motivate us to joyful obedience. Where are your eyes? What are you looking at? I was thinking back to that moment when I was sitting in the back of the sanctuary looking at this rickety ramp that I think was purposely built rickety. <laughs> and thinking, I may die what I should have done, for using that as an illusion or as illustration, I should have taken my eyes off of the ramp, off of the chaos, off of the challenge, and I should have raised them up to the cross that was behind it. I should have raised my eyes up to the one who paid for my sin, who died on the cross, but also hear this, resurrected and has the proof of his death in the scars in his hands. I love in this passage when it says that we are to look at Jesus, it says that he's now reigning on the throne. We don't have a cross that he's still on, he's off the cross. And so as you look at his eyes, also I would say this, trust in Jesus' hands. Trust in Jesus' hands. The hands that when he came here healed lepers. 
the hands that, that he would he'd spit on them and rub them in mud and heal blind people. The hands that the night before his death kneeled down and got a towel and washed the feet of his followers. The hands that took on the sins of the world and were pierced for our transgressions. And the hands that resurrected fixed a breakfast for his disciples afterwards. How do we move trusting in Jesus' hands? There's this great author, this guy named Bob Goff. He wrote a book called Love Does and a bunch of other books. There's this one part in his book that I thought was really powerful. He talks about, he's also a lawyer. He talked about when he would get ready for cases, he would talk to his defendants, and he would say, hey, when you sit there in the courtroom, what I want you to do is you're sitting there with your hands under the table, I want you to sit with your hands open. Because our tendency when we're in court, when we're in this, in this high, high conflict, is we tend to sit with our hands like this. We tend to sit with our hands holding on to things, but God calls us to be a people that sit with our hands like this. If you could, would you just place your hands on your lap and would you just open your hands? This is the posture of the people of Jesus. This is the posture of the cross that God himself who could have poured out all his wrath on us, received it. (laughs) And we receive his righteousness. How do we move? Trusting in Jesus' hands, receiving the power of the gospel. Third, how do we move? And I'll leave you with this last point. Obey Jesus' voice. Obey Jesus' voice. There are so many voices in in the days that we live in. This is a very real struggle. Most of us, we have these things called smartphones, but the problem with our smartphones is they're making us really dumb. Is they're distracting us, they're dividing us. Just yesterday, uh, I was sitting and I wanted to spend a day without my phone. Wanted to get some stuff done, I wanted to read a book, I wanted to spend some time with my kids, and I found myself three times in the morning in the first five minutes grabbing my phone and battling with these other voices that I want to see and I want to hear and I want to be distracted and I want to numb myself. And we need to work at at creating space to listen to the very real voice of Jesus. And it might come through your phone. You might use the Bible app, you may use that for incredible things, but I do think that we need to be very intentional about creating space to listen to God. Some of that is just saying, I'm gonna be at church every week and I'm gonna try to make space to be in worship and to to have a rhythm in my life. For some of us, it means we need to find some time and carve out some time in our day to have some intentional time with God to hear from him. And that doesn't mean you necessarily need to do a reading plan. It, needs to, it means you need to have an intentional time to hear the voice of Jesus. And to, what does it say in Psalm 1? To meditate on his words. 
Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. How do we move? We move with our eyes fixed on Jesus. We move with our hands, trusting his hands. We move listening to his voice. And hear this, it's not a how do I move, it's a how do we move. The book of Romans was written to a group of people. It was written to a faith community that was called to, to be on mission, on the work of his kingdom together on earth as it is in heaven. And we can easily miss this and make this all about my own individual, personal relationship with Jesus. And that's important, but it's also a part of communal faith. And I would encourage you as you think about this, to reflect, don't miss the we. How do we move? In a few moments, we're gonna sing a great hymn from the 18th century. <laughs> it's called All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Think about this, it's, we've been singing this song, actually, it's, it's older than our country. <laughs> the song was written by this Methodist minister who was friends with John Wesley. And he was a pretty good speaker. But John Wesley, one day, he always wanted him to preach and always wanted him to teach. His name was uh, Edward Peronet. And he always would say, no, John, you do the preaching, you do the teaching. And one day, John Wesley said, today we're gonna hear from Edward, and he walked off the stage. <laughs> and the story goes like this. The guy who wrote All Hell, the Power of Jesus' Name, he walked up to the pulpit, and he said, today we're gonna hear the greatest sermon you've ever heard. And he opened up his Bible, and he read Matthew chapter five through seven, the Sermon on the Mount, and he went and he sat down. Because ultimately, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the object of our faith. And the best thing, hear this, church, the best thing that we can do in response to this text is worship him. The best thing we can do right now in this moment, beyond how this week goes, beyond what you try to do to sit in this rhythm, is for us, the gathered people, to sing, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing. Lord Jesus, we believe in you. We recognize God, we are unrighteous, we fall short. There are times that we, we neglect your voice in our lives. There are times that we, we, we hold on to tightly and we sit with hands in, a, in these fists. And Lord Jesus, there are times that our eyes, they go off of you, but yet you graciously draw us back and you redirect our eyes to you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, in this moment as we sing to you, that there would be an awareness to the, your very presence. That we would picture not just the fact that you sit on a throne and you reign, but that one day you will return. You will make all things right. And we get to spend eternity with you.
So may we sing with hope and joy. And may we obey with pleasure. We pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's rise and sing together. As you walk out, please, re please remember, if there's something going on in your life, if you'd like to profess faith in Jesus or just pray about something, we've got a prayer team down here. They'll stick around. They'd love to pray with you and for you. They've been praying for you. And now, receive this benediction from the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his countenance towards you and give you peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that guards your heart, a peace that surpasses understanding in Christ Jesus. And we together confess his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen. Grace and peace.